Hey guys, this is the first ever Elevated DIY podcast with Brian Barney. So I'm just getting started here. I decided to do a podcast just because of all the uh, positive encouragement and positive compliments I got from guys. I've been on a couple podcasts now and and uh, just sharing my information on public land. I've been learning for the last 20 years how to hunt public land and be successful. So, you know, I... I've shared that through my writing and through other avenues, and, and uh, I just thought podcast was a great platform to share information with guys. So I'm going to be doing these podcasts. You know, I'm going to get a lot of my buddies and a lot of guys that are that are just successful on public land, and then sometimes I'll be on there solo, you know, like today. I just thought I'd get a start. It's, it's uh, kind of tough to ask somebody to be on your podcast when you've never done one. So, you know, I thought I'd give it a shot now. I'm, um, you know, I'm not the most technical savvy, so I'm kind of got to figure that out as I go. So it, it'll just be a miracle if I can get this thing posted onto the internet and posted onto to iTunes and Stitcher and a couple things for you guys to listen to. But um, I do have really good public land tactics, and I've, I've been learning the last 20 years, um, you know, just – just things that have helped me along the way and, and things that I can share that will help shorten the learning curve for you guys. And then and then also, you know, how to take it to that next level, you know, how to find those huge mind-blowing trophies and the, those, those next-level animals we all dream about and find them on public lands. I mean, they're out there for us. So um, anyway, so I'm just getting the start. I probably uh, – uh, uh, see if I can make this work just talking by myself or not. It's so tough. You get in this room by yourself and just press record and, and off you go talking. So um, I, I guess I want to start today. You know, I'm just getting ready. I'm like two, three days out from heading into the high country of Wyoming there. And so um, I, I drew this tag. I've hunted in Wyoming before. Um, I've been successful there. I've killed some really nice bucks. I've got one that's this always this narrow, tall, deep fork buck. He went 187. He's got a good extra on his side. I, I killed him way back in, in 2008. Um, and, and then I killed another buck in there in 2012 that went 192. Um, he had a, he had a sticker or two off either side and then a really nice typical frame on him. So I, I've been successful there before. Um, but the unit I hunted, it just kept getting tougher and tougher to draw. The the point creep on it has got bad to where, you know, now it's taken six, seven points to draw it. And so I'm sitting there with a couple points going, God, I, I sure want to hunt, hunt, you know, the wilderness this year, not hunt the wilderness, excuse me. They don't even allow us to hunt the wilderness, which is just so silly in Wyoming. You either got to be with a Wyoming resident or with a guide, which really limits where we can hunt and what we can do. But but that's their rules, and that's what they have set in place. And so, you know, I can only hunt national forests, but there's some great backcountry national forests that sits in Wyoming and sits in all these western states. But Wyoming was kind of my state this year as I as I, I didn't draw Nevada, and, and um, I hunted Colorado last year, and so I've got to save up a couple points there. So Wyoming's my state this year. And so I chose this new unit that I had never been to, and and the old unit, like I say, I killed a couple nice bucks in there. I have scouted some some enormous bucks in there, um, uh, some of the biggest ones I've ever seen. I there was a buck in there. I hunted 
I hunted this buck in 2008, and he was young. I could tell he was about four years old or so, and I got some good pictures of him. And he has an inline and some stickers and then just a really good typical frame. And I actually made a stock on him in 2008. He was hanging with the buck I ended up killing. Um, I made a stock that didn't pan out, and, and then he kind of disappeared from country. Well, anyways, he was a great buck, probably scoring close to 200 inches. And then when I went back in 2012... I found this same exact buck, and he was gigantic. I mean, he was one of those bucks that scored 220, 230, you know, with this huge frame on him and a bunch of extras and just a gigantic buck. And, and in that same area, oh, I saw a buck in there that that um, is the widest buck I've ever seen. It's the only buck that I've ever seen that I, that I said that buck might be 40 inches wide. I mean, maybe he was 38, maybe he was 40 or, or 42, but this buck was pushing 40 inches wide. Just just a gigantic mule deer. And so along with those bucks, I've seen some along the way. You know, And any buck that, that starts approaching that 200 inches for me is a giant. And so, you know, I'd seen all these good bucks in this area, but like I said, I can't get the tag there anymore. It's going to take me half a lifetime and especially take six or seven points now. It may take 10 or 12 points by the time I have six or seven. And so, you know, I, I want to continue to hunt Wyoming. And so I looked at this new spot and, and I've had this new spot I've wanted to hunt in there. And I've looked at it on Google Earth and I... I had this one ridge in mind that I that just looked awesome to me. I I thought it was the spot. It just had a bunch of these basins that that roll down off this side. That, that there's so many different options where it looked like you could roll the ridge and just look down in each one of these drainages, and there was going to be mule deer. And so I drew the tag this year and got over there. And of course, the first place I'm going scouting is this place I've looked on Google Earth. And and um, so I got my maps there, and I kind of get myself a game plan and get down there. And these scouting trips, they're so important to, to learning new country. You just learn, you know, the, the lay of the land. You learn, and there's always more challenges. It's always tougher than you think when you get there. So to be able to show up before season and just even learn the trailheads and the trail systems and, and how to get to the top and how to navigate and to get to those those actual spots you saw on Google Earth. and and that's the other thing is Google Earth is great, but it sure makes country look small. You get there and it just it's it's twice or three or four times as big as you could ever imagine. And so you get there and you you just think on Google Earth you're gonna hop around and go here and go there and you're gonna see all this country and you get up there and you wear yourself out just seeing a quarter of it, you know. And so um, it, it's always just good to get in country and put your eyes on country and then just see what bucks actually live there. And so. This ridge that I have had my eyes on for years, I I figure I'm going to go up there and, and I'm just going to see these giant bucks and start finding these 200-inch deer that I want to kill. And, and it's just not that way. I, I got up there and, gosh, I, I start the first uh, trip I went up there. I, I started on this ridge and I started on the far, the far southern end of it and, and hiked in. And um, there's no, there was one truck in the parking lot, but nobody up and through there. And I, I started seeing bucks right away when I made it to the top, but I just couldn't find that next level buck I was looking for. There was a lot of bucks, you know, just decent four points that were going, you know, 150 to 170 and then a bunch of younger bucks too. And so, you know, I probably saw 25 bucks that trip. Um, but I, I just couldn't find those those gigantic older deer that I was looking for. And so, 
you know, I don't know, there's an outfitter that runs in and through there and a horse trail on top. So, you know, I just think it maybe gets enough pressure to where they're getting shot out of there during the rifle season where that's, it's just not where the big ones hang. Now, I, I did find some good deer in there. I found this one buck that was probably high 180s, fairly wide, older, and he had four stickers. And so that became my number one. And so I, I saw him and I saw a couple more 170 bucks and some with some extras and some inlines. And so I knew the genetics was pretty were pretty good. And so, um, you know, I came home and reviewed my pictures and my video and kind of thought about it and looked on the map again. And I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to go in again and pick a different spot. And so I went in this ridge kind of on the north end now to kind of see what lived on the north end. And and I did better in there, but I just still not seeing that that older age class and the numbers that I want. I mean, I'm seeing the numbers of the younger bucks. I just can't seem to find the older ones. And so I, I did see a buck that was probably high 180s, maybe low 190s with a good sticker and deep forked and was a really good buck. And so he, he kind of became my number one. And and uh, I did. I had a good scouting trip and put on a bunch of miles. And that's the other thing about these scouting trips is not only the knowledge that you gain, but for me, it's like a test in getting comfortable with being in the wilderness. You know, you you get up there and you're testing out your tent and you're testing out your sleeping bag and your your pad and your you know you're testing out your food and you're you're covering all these miles in your boots and your on your legs and elevation and. And so it's almost like a test or it, it starts to get me ready for what I'm going to encounter on season. And so even though I run and I train a bunch, there there's nothing th that's like the real thing. I mean, when you're up there for a 10-day a hunt or an 8-day hunt, it, it's it's like doing a marathon every day. It's it's You just keep continuing to push and you're going to get tired and you're going to get worn out and, and you have to... You know, you have to get through those points mentally and physically. And so these scouting trips are kind of a way to, to test that and, and a way to, to, to make sure you're ready and, and, and get yourself ready for these tough, grueling backcountry hunts. And so um, after the second trip, I had seen some nice deer. That, that one that was approaching 190 was my first choice. But, but as I came home and I thought about it and, and uh, I thought, man, that's just... You know, it's not that next level gigantic buck that I'm looking for that I know lives in this unit. You know, I know it lives in this area. I mean, uh, I'm not that far from where I've hunted before and I've seen giant bucks before. You know, I just got to I just got to get back to the to the drawing board here and get a new plan and figure out where these big ones are living. And so um, get on Google Earth and order some more maps and I start looking around and and when I'm when I'm scouting, you know, I. I take my whole unit that I've drawn and I look at every single mountain range and every single option I have. And so now I start, now I start uh, uh, whittling down, you know, where do I think big bucks are going to live besides this spot? And so I looked at this spot that's just, it's, it's more gnarly than, than this spot I'm hunting. It's, it sits up a little bit higher in elevation. There's more cliffs. It's tougher to get to and, and perfect, you know, that's, that's probably where those big guys are living, or that's where I would think anyways. And so I planned another trip, and to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm kind of I put off um, scouting for elk. You know, I, I do have an important elk trip coming up this year, but scouting elk is a, is a different story, where, where you find them early season isn't where you're going to find them during the rut. 
And, and this spot I'm elk hunting this year, you know, I have 40, 50 days into hunting this place. So I've got a bunch of good spots and I've got ideas of where I'm going to go. So I just figured, you know, I'm going to put more time in this unit I haven't hunted scouting for mule deer where the deer will actually be, you know, where they are now when I'm scouting, they'll be there during season or at least they're close by. And so um, I planned this trip to this gnarlier, more rugged country. And so I, um, I I get over there and it's another, you know, weekend trip. I still have a day job like like most of you guys out there. And so I've got to get my work done. And then, so I'm just planning a weekend and, and lucky enough, I'm able to get there early, get enough work done on Friday where I can take off, you know, early Friday afternoon and, and get over there and just do this weekend bonsai trip of going for it. A lot of times Friday night, I'm hiking with a headlamp trying to make it on top. But this time I was lucky enough to get over there early afternoon and still have some daylight to get up there. And so I climbed up over the top and and got up there and did this trip and instantly started seeing good bucks. I mean, the good bucks that are 170s, 180s, you know, nothing next level yet, but seeing some really good bucks. And so that started to pique my interest. And then I just went for it. It was a bonsai trip. I, I, I'd hate to even guess at how many miles I did, but I maybe 30 or 40 miles, something like that. I mean, I got up on that ridge and just started cruising country and looking in all these drainages and all these spots um, and, and started to pick out some good bucks. And, and then uh, eventually I was able to find, you know, a couple drainages that was, that were really holding some, some giant deer and some great numbers. And, and yeah, I saw a buck in there with a couple extras, super wide, 32, 34 wide, that heavy next level buck that, you know, he's going to score right around 200 inches. And, and I saw another couple in there that, that are going to be around that same mark. And so, man, I'm just super jacked. I, came home, you know, got myself a good game plan for it. And then this hunt starts, you know, it starts uh, on the 1st of September. So today's, you know, the 27th, 28th, something like that. So, so like three days away now. And so I've, I've got all my stuff just um, laid out all over the floor here. You know, uh, it takes me a couple days to get ready. I, I really should have a spreadsheet that I go by. But I like most, I just fly by the seat of my pants. I've done it so many times and so many trips that if I just lay it out on a tarp or on a piece of canvas is what I lay mine out on, I just lay it out and lay all my stuff there. And then I give myself a couple days to remember anything I forgot. And I kind of go through it and have a mental checklist of what I do. So, I, you know, I'm not the most organized in the world, but I you know, I very rarely forget anything I need and I, I get everything down in there and then I start working on my menu. So I went up and got my food and, and just typical my fashion, just no shopping list, no nothing. I've just done it a million different times. And so I know what I need to bring and what I need to get and, and how I'm going to put it together. And I know, you know, for my food and what I do, you know, it's usually a pound and a half to two pounds of food per day. And I used to do daily bags. And then I'd make those bags 2,200 to 2,800 calories per day. And that's a good way to make sure you've got enough food. But anymore, I just do one food sack and kind of plan out my meals in my head and kind of get enough stuff to, to, to get in there. And I, I don't do any mountain house anymore. Um, I just don't like the way they make me feel. I don't like all the preserves, preservatives and sodium they put in it. And it just, um, it doesn't make my stomach feel right up in there. So, you know, I don't do mountain house meals anymore. I do a lot of whole foods, but I, I just do foods that are going to taste good up there. You're going to crave foods and you need calories. And, 
And you know, some you're going to burn five to ten thousand calories a day when you're when you're putting out that output, and so you're going to be working off a deficit. And so, you know, the most important thing for me is to make sure my body's in this ketonic state, or my body's used to going into a ketonic state. And and, and I don't know everything about um, you know about my my diet and health and fitness, but but what I've learned over the years is is to have your body be able to it, it converts over and starts using your fat for energy, and it does that. That's called a ketonic state. Is when you run out of fuel or you run out of uh, carbs and sugars for your body to burn, your body switches over and starts using fat. Well, if your body isn't used to doing that, it shocks the system, and you almost feel sick to yourself, and you you can't make that transition over and have that same energy. But but me doing a lot of trail running and training and running on empty stomachs and and, and and teaching my body to run off its fats, my body will transfer over seamlessly. So if if I'm running a calorie deficit, which we all will be in the hills, you can't pack enough food to, to get enough calories for that high mountain hunt. You got to teach your body how to go into this ketonic state where it can start burning its fat reserves for energy. And so... Um, I do this through a lot of my long trail runs and things like that. And so, you know, I, I teach my body that, and that's the most important thing for me. And then I just bring a lot of foods that taste good and make me feel right. Um, you know, I uh, it's maybe not the healthiest menu in the, in the world, but I, I try to do a good mix of carbs and protein and not too much sugar. And I, I eat really healthy throughout the whole other, throughout the entire rest of the year. And then when I go into the mountains, I'm, I'm not afraid if I have a few extra pieces of licorice or something. And not that that's what I live off of. I like to live off whole foods. I like to have, um, you know, peanut butter and breads and um, I like to have nuts and um, freeze uh, uh, berries, not freeze dried, but um, uh, dried berries and and apples and things of that nature. And and then I do um, uh, salami and I do pepperoni sticks and string cheese and then I'll do crackers, like a triscuits or something like that. And then I um, for for meals. You know, I'll run those for meals sometimes, and then I'll also run one of my favorites is like um, uh, I run like this breakfast granola. So I'll put granola in a in a Ziploc bag, and then I'll do um, I'll I'll put some some berries in there, and then uh, uh maybe even some nuts, and then I'll put powdered milk in there, and I just add a little bit of water, and then it's like a like a cereal, like a cereal with milk when I get all said and done. And so that's one of my favorite meals in there because I don't need to cook. I don't need to clean up and I just pour some water in there and I instantly have 800 to a thousand calories, this huge meal. And so that's one of my favorites. Um, I love oatmeal. Uh, uh, gosh, I, and then I'll, you know, I'll run oatmeal cookies and I'll run, um, Another one of my secrets that just tastes so good in the mountains, and maybe it's not the best thing for you, but it gives you energy energy to burn is um, cinnamon rolls. So we have this place, uh, Wheat Montana, that I usually go and I stock up on cinnamon rolls, and then I'll I'll cut them into pieces and put them in ziplock ziplocks and bring them up there, and I love eating those. And and um, so I kind of get this diverse menu of stuff that I really like to eat that tastes really good. Um, and, and then I just package it up to where I've got, you know, 22 to 2,800 calories a day and I'm usually good to go. So I've got my food all laid out for this trip and all my gear ready to go. And so, man, I am just, I'm so ready to cut these legs loose and get in the mountains and go chase some of these big bucks. This'll, 
this is um, I've got this opportunity this year where I, I get to film this hunt. So um, I've done some solo filming before, um, which has been a learning curve, and I, I like doing it. But it's so tough to get the harvest shot on film, especially when you're chasing these big bucks and by yourself. So this year, I've been riding for Eastman's for quite a few years, and so this year they've given me the opportunity to, to be able to film for Eastman's Hunting TV. So, I mean, what an awesome opportunity. This is like a like a dream for me. I've been working towards this for years to try to get this opportunity. And so finally I met with Guy and I met with Ike and we got me all set up and I've got this really good cameraman that's going to drive up from Colorado. His name's um, Lane. Um, I believe it's Lane Walters or maybe I don't have that right, but Lane anyways. And so I've been in, in touch with him and he's a really good bow hunter on his own and a really good film guy. And so we've been talking back and forth. And so he's going to drive up and meet me and go on this hunt and then we're going to capture the whole thing on film so i can say this is just a huge opportunity for me so i'm going to try to lay down the best footage i can it's um it's like a make or break it for me i, I finally get this opportunity and the only way it's going to make an episode on eastman's is if i harvest a buck on film and a good buck on film and then you know it, it can make an episode and so um i've just got my head set on this on this deal and this hunt coming up, I've, I've been running hard all summer long. I mean, I hardly missed a day running unless I was in the mountains. Um, and, and I, you know, today I'm, I'm finally going to take it easy here and I've, I'll just do a couple miles today and I'll kind of wane back so I can hit peak on this hunt that I'm going to. But so I'm, I'm going to meet Lane. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to meet Wednesday, the day before it opens and we'll, we'll head into country there. So man, I am just jacked. I, um, for me, failure isn't an option for this hunt. I've just got my mind set and I, I've been successful on a lot of big bucks before and I know what it takes. And so just been doing my vi visualizations and, and, uh, thinking about this hunt, how it's going to play out. And I, I play the shot sequence in my head and how I'm going to execute and just over and over and over, look at my maps. I get a game plan you know, where I'm going to hunt, how I'm going to glass country. And I'm always looking for the best way to keep an eye on the country where the bucks are, where I can watch those things bed down and then and then make a play for them. So, God, to, to say I'm jacked is an understatement. I just can't wait here. So a couple days I'm going to cut myself loose in the Wyoming backcountry and, and give her hell. And it's, it's not my first hunt of the year. I've already um, been hunting antelope a little bit, which has been really nice. Um, antelope are some of my my favorite animals to hunt. They're just, um, I have this respect for them. You start hunting them with a bow and their eyesight and how they see and their instincts and stuff. They are one of the toughest animals to spot and stalk with a bow, especially in the open country. And so I just gained this respect for them where I just love hunting them. And the, the other thing about hunting antelope is, is you don't get just one stock in a season like on elk or, or on, on mule deer. Not that you only get one, but you get very few chances where antelope, if you're doing it right, you're getting three to five stocks a day. That's a lot of experience and a lot of chances to, to practice your skills stalking. And, and so they have made me better at hunting and better at stalking and better at bow hunting. And one of the big reasons for it, you know, is, is just you get so much opportunity. And so... Um, I, I just love hunting antelope, and our antelope season here in Montana opens August 15th. And, and this year, the, the pressure was kind of on because I, I have this Wyoming hunt, which we're going to film, and then I'm heading, I get back for a couple days, and, and then I'm heading straight to Alaska for my dream hunt, uh, a, 
a moose and caribou hunt where I'm going to float down this tributary of the Yukon with a couple buddies and we've got some good tags. But anyway, I got that hunt and then I come back from that and then I uh, uh, straight into an elk hunt that we're going to film. And so I don't have much time. Antelope season opens uh, with a rifle, I think like October October 9th or something like that. And that's about the end of my elk hunt. And so really I've got this window of time to get it done. Boy, I, I got a lot of hunting this year. I've, I'm probably going to end up getting fired. I, I won't. I own my own business. But boy, it's a, a lot of hunting this year, which is just a dream world for me, being able to spend as much time hunting the woods as I can. And so um, anyway, so I, I really short on time for antelope as I've got this couple week window and, and my wife, she's got her biggest sale at work happens right in the middle of it where we've got a weekend where she just can't cover for me. She's working 12 to 16 hour days, day in, day out. And so, you know, I hang out with the kids. And so me and the kids kind of teamed up and, and chased antelope around there for a little bit. And we were close on a couple stocks. I got drawn on, on one good buck. Um, it was with my youngest daughter, Katie, and we spotted these bucks and what, and actually she spotted them, which is, which is wild, but, uh, she spotted these bucks and she said, dad, there's a, there's some antelope there. And I looked and it was this group of bucks and they were working this ridge. And so I said, can you jog? And she said, yeah, I can jog. And so we got on the backside of the ridge and we jogged and we kind of cut them off. And then we got set up and crouched down and they were coming right over the hill, right on top of us. I mean, the one, the biggest buck was 30 yards away. He was just facing me. And so it's kind of crouched in the grass and he must have picked up my head or I'm, you can't make any mistakes on antelope. And even sometimes you do it perfect and they still catch it. And he kind of trotted off down in the bottom and I got a range on him and got drawn back but um he, he spooked right as I was settling my pin so I was close on that buck with my girls and then um or with my youngest daughter and and we had some other chances where we got some good stocks but um I, and then I had a had a buddy come up just a guy I met his name's Kobe and he lives down in in Utah there and he looked me up throughout the summer there looked me up on social media and I you know, I've only been on social media a few months. It's just brand new to me. I, I just, I, I wanted to focus on, on keeping original content for the magazine, which was the wrong way to think. I was just, I just thought that I, I want these original pictures and I want all my writing to be original. And I, I just want to, um, uh, save all this for the magazine, for this original content. And finally, he's been, uh, they asked me, you know, why in the heck aren't you on social media? <laughs> and I had to tell him, you know, you know, I'm open to it and can do it that I had saved this original content. And I just went about it. I just thought about it wrong. But I, I am on it now. I um, uh, have Instagram and Facebook and, and it's it's been great. It's I, I'm able to reach more people and I'm able to share my photos and, and I still have great content for the magazine. It hasn't made any difference on that. It's just uh, it, it's given more people a chance to find me and, and see who I am and, and me to be able to share my shot thoughts and, and people get to know you more. You you post on there every day or every couple days and, and you post how you really feel and you post your pictures. And so it's out there for everybody to see. So anyways, Kobe looked me up on social media and he wasn't uh, you know, he wasn't looking for an exact spot to hunt or anything. He was just looking for some help out. He wanted to come up here and come antelope hunting and could get an archery tag. And so, you know, I helped him out on maps and, and then, you know, he, 
He said, well, I'd love to meet up with you while I'm up there. And I said, well, I don't know. You know, I may draw this Nevada tag. I may be gone. But if I'm around, we'll, we'll meet up. I'd love to meet up with you. And uh, he's a like-minded bow hunter and a good guy. And so anyways, turns out I didn't draw that Nevada tag and I was antelope hunting. And so he came up here and we got him a good game plan for hunting him. And, and uh, he hunted the first morning, slept in his, in his truck and hunted the first morning. He got five stocks the first morning, drawn twice, and then missed a big buck. And so he had just an epic morning of, of hunting. And then, so I touched bases with him middle of the day and I was getting off work about four or five. And I said, well, let's meet up and go for a hunt, Kobe. And so he came over here. Uh, we had him hunt in the other valley. And so he came over here to, to my house and we met up and did an afternoon hunt. And so we went to one of my my favorite spots where you got to bounce down this gravel road for miles and miles. And then there's, there's just a few sections of public that sit amongst this private land ranch that just have a bunch of antelope in it. And so, um, I met up with Kobe and we drove out there and got out there and we had seen, I'd seen these antelope a ways off. And so we went to go check on those and, um, antelope, they just, God, they have a knack for just making the right moves at the right time. And so, we're going really slow and coming up over these ridge lines really slow and looking for these bucks that we had seen or these antelope we had seen over there. And, and uh, you know, we finally, we look over all these edges and don't see them and we think they're gone and we're just standing up on top. And sure enough, here they come up over the top and just see us standing there like a couple morons. And so they, they uh, spook off and, and go, go off their separate ways. And so it's getting later and we haven't even got a stock yet or anything. And, and uh, we see these couple bucks that are headed at us, and they go in this ditch line. And so we kind of make our way over to that ditch line and look down, and there's this single buck in the bottom. They had split up. I don't know where the second one went, but the but there was a single buck in the bottom, and he was a pretty nice one right at about Pope and Young or whatever. And so me and Kobe start playing the game and looking over the ridge. And, and you know, a lot of times when you stalk, you leave a guy behind to kind of watch and give hand signals. And that's it it helps and it's good and one person moving in is less sound and and you can move in close but but really the fun is in stalking and so you know i like to buddy stalk where two people will stalk and then one guy you know you don't want to fight over who's going to shoot or who's going to get the shot and so i just told him kobe you know you're going to shoot this buck if we get a chance i'll range find for you let's move in on this buck and see if we can't get him and so we, we moved on and down and got in the same bottom as this buck and just started creeping up on him. And, uh, gosh, we got so close to this buck. We we snuck right up on him, and he was bedded and uh, kind of looking away from us. And so we got in there, got Kobe set up, and, and we're waiting and waiting. And pretty soon it's starting to get dark. And, you know, it's it's not dark yet. I mean, we've got 20, 30 minutes or whatever. But it, it's starting to be like, well, this has either got to happen or it's, it's not going to happen. And so... Um, I'm not one to be the, play the rock throw game, you know, but in, in this instance, in this chance right here, you know, we don't, this is our option. We either throw a rock and try to get this buck up or, you know, we're, you know, we're, it's going to get dark on us and we're not going to get a chance. And so I huck a rock and the buck looks over at the rock and I huck another rock and another and another. And this buck just, he hasn't been chased all season. Uh, uh, who knows if he's even seen a human. And so he, he just won't get up to to look at these rocks that I'm throwing. Finally, on the I know, fifth or sixth rock I threw, he finally stands up and Kobe draws and and uh, uh, so he he draws back and I I we had originally thought that buck was about 35 yards trying to range find through the grass and he stood up and I went you know I clicked him with my range finder real quick and I said Kobe Kobe no he's he's 
56 or whatever he was at. And so we had the wrong range, and he had his pin dialed wrong, and, and he was going to try to hold over. And I said, Kobe, just let down, and this buck just, just stood there, you know, and kind of looked at looked at our way, and he let down slow, rolled his sight, drew back, and then put one on this buck, and buck went over and died, and it was just a perfect story. And so the first night me and Kobe have even met, the first day we've hunted together, he put the smack down on this buck, and it was the first antelope buck with his bow so it was just super killer um he was jacked i was jacked it was dark when we got to the antelope i got this killer harvest photo with um so i i set you know so my shutter i set my shutter on my camera so it would stay open longer so it would gather more light and it just captured this epic storm in the background uh, of, of this this deal and it kind of lit it up even though it was pitch black it picked up enough light and then its horns were skylined in this dark cloud. Just an awesome harvest photo. One of the coolest ones I've taken. And and so we got Kobe's buck all taken care of. And then he stayed over at the house that night. And then uh, sent him home the next day. Um, so we got Kobe's buck. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm short on time. And it's waning down. And I'm going out every evening I can now. My wife's done with her sale. And, and then finally, uh, well, I catch this a really nice buck and he's just with a lone doe he's starting to rut and he's down in this bottom and this bottom is the place where i killed my first antelope buck with a bow and, and i killed him about 10 years ago 2006 is when i killed him and it took me three years of trying spot and stalking these antelopes to kill my first one finally in 2006 on this property i killed one and, and since then I've I've got lucky some years but i, I just kind of have a knack for it and spend my time out and now i've gone you know, nine years in a row, this is my 10th year, so 10 years in a row harvesting a, a antelope buck with my bow, spot and stalk on the prairie. So I, I catch this buck, and he's with this this doe, um, and, and I had actually caught some antelope out there a few days prior and almost had this buck. It was one of those deals where, you know, this, this one buck with these does is skirting along the bottom, and I have them at like 120 down below me, and they kind of pass this ditch, and there's another buck trailing them. And so I slip down in this low depression, and I get in between the buck and his does, and then this other buck, and it should just be perfect where he crosses in front of me in 40 yards. And here he comes, and he's starting to come, and I'm getting an arrow knocked, and I'm getting ranges, and I'm getting ready. And then all of a sudden, he just walks out into the prairie, no idea I'm there, just being an antelope. So I, I had chances you know, a few days prior. So I knew some antelope were there. And so I showed up and I, I caught this buck and, and this doe and they were, they were bedded out in this, this big flat, but there's, it's kind of like some rolling open grassland fields. And so I've got a decent wind and they're bedded in a good spot. And so I think, well, I, I can creep right in on those things. And so I start creeping in and, and getting closer. And then sure enough, as I start getting closer, they get up and start feeding. And I, and I just know better nowadays, you know, when you're stalking antelope, mule deer, whatever you're stalking, you're just better off if, if you don't stalk reckless. You don't take any unnecessary chances. If if they're going to see you or if there's a chance they're going to see you, you, you don't do it because you're just going to ruin the opportunity. You're going to spook those antelope out of there, those deer out of there, whatever it is, and then you're not going to have a chance at them. you got to relocate them. And so... I stalk aggressively, but I never stalk recklessly. If I think they're going to catch me, I hold up there. And so that was the case on this deal is this, these antelope got up and they started feeding and they could kind of see me. You know, it's almost where you can keep crawling, but it's just, I know better. And so I just sat there laying in the grass and I just, I laid there for 
gosh, I had to lay there for an hour in the grass where I hardly moved. I just watched them feed, and they didn't see me, and and uh, they were they were probably all close to 200 yards out, but I just knew there was no move to make. I had to let them rebed down or get to a better position or whatever it was. And, and finally, they got over this kind of high side, and they're headed up this 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 they're gonna head up this big hill and so they finally can't see me instead of me going for them i just backed all the way out and i made this huge loop around them to get in front of them and it had to be a couple mile loop around them and so i made this huge couple mile loop and i just get to this snow ditch just as i i call it a snow ditch it it, they've got a couple snow fences in it they collect the snow drift right there and then it's this ditch that runs along this property and it runs for a a mile out there and it's kind of this low spot where they can't see and so i make it all the way around to this low spot and then i just start hustling down and then i can see them coming up over the rise and they're coming towards me so i just set up in front of where they're going to come i mean there's i'm spotting stalking but there you got to you got to outsmart them. And so, you know, I, I don't have to move in to call it a spot and stock. If I get in front of them and they come by me, that it works just the same. And so um, I get in front of this this doe and this animal, or the doe and the buck, and, and they're coming right at me. And so you've always got to keep low below the grass line so they don't see you. And so I get my arrow knocked and rangefinder ready, and I'm ready to go. And here comes this doe, and I see this doe coming and she's coming and I can't see the buck because I can't get up high enough to see the buck coming because I'll expose myself to the doe. And so I start grabbing some ranges on the doe as she's coming, knowing that buck's following her. And, and she's 60 and 50 and 40 and pretty soon she's 30 and she's coming right towards my ditch and going to cross it. And so I end up just laying down flat in the ditch, which usually you always want to keep yourself ready to shoot. But I know if I keep ready to shoot, she's going to come over this ditch. She's going to see me. She's going to spook and run off, and she's going to take this buck with her. And so I'm laying just flat on my back in this ditch as she crosses at 30 yards. And she looks at me at 30 yards and and obviously sees this lump of camo or lump of solid colors laying in the grass flat. But she doesn't spook, and she kind of – Gets a little bit nervous, but crosses the ditch, and and then she's not exposed to me anymore. And so, you know, I can, I just get back up to my knees and look back, and here comes his buck, and he's just a gorgeous buck, and and uh, um, he he comes, and then I I get a quick range on him, and he was out there a ways. I mean, open country antelope hunting, you gotta you gotta be ready to take some longer shots, and not that I want to take extreme long shots, but he's right in my wheelhouse. He's like 65 yards. And so he's broadside 65. No idea I'm there. Dial in. And I had kind of a right to left win. And so I put it a little bit back on him, a little bit to the right aim and, and, uh, executed my shot and, and the shot, you know, if I'm being honest, it actually, it, the shot didn't move from where I was aiming. It hit him square in the liver right there. Um, which is a good shot on antelope. And I was, I was testing a new broadhead for this. It's a Eastman sponsored broadhead that I've got to use on this film hunt. So I wanted to make sure it's going to work okay. So it's a grave digger, two bladed, expandable, really aerodynamic. And I've tested it in the wind, but this wind did not budge my arrow whatsoever. But it it got them good. I mean, heart, lungs, or liver, they die. And I never aim close to the shoulder because I just don't have the kinetic energy to get through that shoulder. It seems like if I hit that shoulder, I don't get them, whether it's an elk or an antelope. And so I always aim a little bit back off the shoulder. And this time for when I aim back, you know, towards the liver or whatever, ended up hitting him right in the liver. And he made this, oh, they, he took off a hundred miles an hour 
um, and made this circle and then started coming right at me like a charging antelope coming at me. Pretty soon he's, you know, 50, 40, 30, 20, and he's right there. And I'm thinking, God, I'm going to have to throw my bow at him to stop him from running me over. But uh, he he circled off and then ran out and died. And boy, he was dead within 45 seconds or whatever. The broadhead did its job and, and uh, it was a lethal good shot. But yeah, just absolutely jacked to get him. I mean, every year I, I kill those antelope, you know, some, sometimes it's the toughest hunt of the year and it takes me 20 stocks. And, you know, sometimes I get it done on my first stock and this wasn't my first stock, but it, it was my first good opportunity and my first shot. And so, um, so far this season, it, it's been a hundred percent. I, um, killed a really nice bear in the spring, um, with my bow that was spot and stock out here in Montana, really nice chocolate color phase bear. And then, you know, one arrow on my antelope. So two arrows fired and two Pope and Young trophies. The buck, um, you know, he's, he's right along the lines of, of my good ones out here. He's just a great one. And I just look for a good mature animal. Pope and Young's right around 65. I usually look for around 70, and this buck's right in there. He, I rough scored him at 72. He kind of prongs a little bit low on his horn, but he's still 13 inches or 13 and a half. And then he's, he's really wide and he's got this cool look to him. So I was just jacked. And, and for me, um, my family, you know, uh, almost we eat wild game exclusively. And so, um, antelope is one of our favorite. And so, uh, our freezer was about empty from last season. We've gone through absolutely everything. So I was happy to stick some meat in the freezer, get this antelope done. And it also gives me some confidence going into this muley hunt too. Um, you know, just with execution and stocks and, um, you know, when you practice stalking antelope, you know, you, you get, in, you, you get thinking like a hunter and coming over these, these ridge lines and, and, and you just start stalking, it better you know to where you're you're hitting on all cylinders so when i get to wyoming and i'm stalking these big bucks you know i've already got a handful of stocks under my belt and, and uh so i can hit the ground running over there so yeah i'm just jacked i'm gonna take off on this wyoming mule deer hunt in a couple days here and and just try to continue on my season and have some continued success so um this is uh, this is the first podcast um i i think i'm gonna call it uh um, elevated DIY. I, I just think it's a good name. It's short, it's simple. And, and that's what I want to share with you guys is just share, you know, how to be better on public land, self-guided hunting. Um, and just see if we can see if I can give tips and tactics, tactics that shorten this learning curve, you know, to, to make everybody better and, and, and to help out along the way. And I, this podcast is such a great platform for people to get to know you is you, you know, you sit here and talk for, uh, multiple times, you know, for 40 minutes out of way. I mean, you guys get to know who I really am and, and what I really do and how I train for these hunts and prepare and get to hear the real story, the highs and lows of, of how it goes down. And, and, uh, so, so this is my goal. I've just got to keep with it now. You know, the best way I learn at doing stuff is, is just by doing it, by getting started and, and putting something out there. And so this will be the first one. And, and then I'm going to try to do one with Lane, my camera guy in Wyoming, while we're maybe while we're in camp or um, uh, in the high country of Wyoming, I'm going to try to do one and record it and, and then put that out there. And I've got a busy September, October, but, but I'm just going to try my best to keep getting on and keep putting out these podcasts. And then you know, work hard to, to get guests on here and, and, and get guests that you guys know, but also guests that you don't know. I mean, there's this, 
there's there's all these guys that that are successful on public lands that nobody's ever heard of that kill some giant animals and their their insight into hunting public land and hunting self-guided is, is so valuable and so um that's the goal of this deal and so um yeah i mean i think that's about it for the the first episode i think we wrap this one up and and uh call this episode one and and then i'll I'll get back on with line, with Lane in Wyoming and see if I can do another one. So thanks a bunch, guys, for for tuning in. Thanks for for listening to this podcast and and uh, you know hit me up on social media on Instagram or whatever and let me know what you think. And constructive criticism is great. I I, I need to learn as I go and I need to learn to get better of what you guys want to listen to, what you guys want to hear, what I did right and what I did wrong. And I I don't have a lot of expensive equipment yet. You know I've I've got a $20 mic I bought and a camera and, a, and an editing software, and, and I'm just trying to figure it all out. So um, let me know what you guys think. I, I'm going to post it, try to post it to iTunes and to Stitcher. And so leave me some reviews on there as well. That'll really help me out. And, and uh, just let me know what you guys think and, and, and hang in there with me. I, you know, it's a work in progress. And so I think it's only going to get better as it, as it grows and only going to get better as it goes. Um, you know, the, the more I do it and the more I get comfortable, you know, talking onto this mic and putting out these podcasts, the, the better I'm going to be to give you guys the information that, that it takes to be successful. So, um, good hunting out there guys. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll uh, talk to you soon.